This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Everybody, coming to you live from Austin, Texas. Another episode of the Do Not Listen to This Podcast. I am your host, Sam LaCrosse. Can you dig it? I can. Happy Cinco de Mayo, everybody. It is, I am recording this on the 5th of May, Cinco de Mayo, Mexican Independence Day. Shout out to all the Mexican Americans, my Mexican American friends, uh, Mexicans around Mexico and the world. I got a lot of them in Texas, so I meet a lot of people celebrating today. Uh, a great day, a lovable day. I love when, you know, we can all just kind of get around and say like, Hey, this is, you know, that's why I love, I think a lot of people love holidays. You kind of use, put the bullshit aside and we'll be like, okay, let's just go to Torchies and drink margaritas and, you know, do all the other stuff while also recognizing the importance of the day. So if, and by the way, if any, any Mexicans are listening to this podcast, when they have, when most people have no fucking idea who I am, that is a remarkable thing to us. So extra shout out to you guys, if you guys exist at all. So be a quick hitter this week. I have, it's been something I've been thinking about for a while, and I think it kind of, you know, came about just me thinking about, you know, making investments in in this type of material, which we're talking about books this week. So when I buy books, I do not buy books like a normal person, at least like when, you know, I run out of books to read. I do not just buy like, oh, I'll buy one here, I'll buy two here, I'll buy whatever. It's like, no, I, I buy like 50. Like I buy 50 books at one time. I remember the last time I did it was um, was when I moved to Austin, actually, which is coming up at the end of this month. So the last time I moved, I moved to Austin on May 28th of uh, 2021 of last year. And I remember soon after I got, you know, relatively moved in and settled and, you know, everything else kind of went down, I had a, just kind of a, a cache of books that I had. And I spent I probably about four or 500 bucks just ordering all of them to my house. I actually just set up another bookshelf this last week because I've been running out of space, not to, you know, sound like an asshole or anything, but it's just kind of, it's just the, the spatial problem is the problem. So I was thinking about kind of like, you know, and I'm getting to that point again, where it's about a year from now where I'm, or at the end of this year, I'll probably, because I had some books when I went from Boston to Austin that I had not read yet. I bought more on top of that. And then I have several books that I've pre-ordered. I recently read uh, The War in the West by Douglas Murray, which is his recent book that came out, an excellent read, by the way. And then I have uh, Cam Haynes' book come by the end of this month. I have Tim Kennedy's book coming at the start of June, which is going to be super exciting. Tim is a person that I've looked up to for a long time. I look up to Cam Haynes a lot, like a lot of people do with both of those gentlemen. Very excited to read those. But I was kind of thinking about the investment both financially and, more importantly, certainly with the case of books, the quality of the material that you are investing in. When you buy a book, especially a new book, which can probably cost in, in these day and age with shipping and everything, probably a little over $30. 
And so they, they are a massive investment of both your time, your money, your intellectual capital, I would say, for a lot of things. And I would, you know, just kind of framing that in the sense of what is worth your time and money and overall resources reading and what is not worth that. I think it's a reasonable question to ask and it's a rational thing to ask of yourself. So by all means are these six categories that I'm about to name of things you should and should not read a catch-all because I make it, I try to make it very clear in the post explicitly in this podcast that they are not. But in aggregate, over reading all of the books on my bookshelf, all the books that I've read over the past couple of years, it's over probably around 150 in the last couple of years that I've read. These are just kind of common trends that I am seeing throughout my personal exodus on, or not exodus, that's the wrong word, odyssey, that's what I've used throughout the post and about the podcast, that I have had with my reading that I want to convey out there for a lot of people in order to kind of at least frame a direction for people to kind of understand where they can get into trouble, where they can get actual value from, and where they cannot. So without further ado, let's get to it. So before... I began to write this post. I googled quotes about books. That's actually how I don't know if you guys go to the blog format and read this. Do not read this. Don't read this blog.com if you're interested. I end it with a quote and a music lyric that I think relatively, I try to make it as accurate as possible, but fits the trend on all this other stuff. But so that's how I usually go. I Google when I'm writing a post about books, I Google quotes about books. That's usually the extent of my intellectual curiosity. But, anyways, so the first one that popped up in the images section was by someone named Garrison Keeler. He apparently created a stream of radio stations in Minnesota, wrote books, had, quote, inappropriate relationships with freelance writers, and satirized American politics. And his quote was, quote, a book is a gift you can open again and again, end quote. And now my apologies to Garrison Keillor and his compatriots that he allegedly fondled. But that claim is absolute fucking bullshit. And take me, for example, if you dare. Since I began writing this thing back in 2020 and talking about it in 2021, I've read over 100 books, which don't include rereads of some of my absolute favorites, and there have been a bunch of those, especially piecemealed. While certainly not as many as some others out there, it's still a pretty good amount of books, I think. I've read all sorts of types from all types of people. While I'd say I need more intellectual diversity and I need to expand in that kind of category, I think my overall literary palette is pretty well refined. The funny thing about any large enough sample size of anything is that they always seem to follow the pattern of the normal distribution. The normal distribution, for those who don't geek out on statistics like I do, is what's known as the, quote, bell curve. The normal distribution posits that in every sample in a given experiment or study, you will have a large amassing of results centering around the average with two tails that serve as the outliers in either direction. Depending on the context of the experiment, this can mean a number of things. However, in aggregate, what it means is this. No matter what is being studied or tested, a vast majority of the results of that action will end up landing somewhere around the average in the spectrum of data. Additionally, some of those results will be outstanding on one side of the spectrum or the other. It's quite remarkable how well this pattern manifests itself in the physical world. I could name numerous examples. For, so let's name one right off the bat. I entered into a hiring class of about 300 people in my same company and over 1,000 throughout the entire calendar year. A few turned out to be excellent, a few turned out to suck ass, and a lot were around average. I'm approaching 100 posts and 100 podcasts, and I will eclipse both by the end of the year. A few turned out to be excellent, a few turned out to suck ass, and a lot were around average. I've been on almost every dating app known to man numerous times. A few of my attempts to attract women were excellent, a few turned out to suck ass, and a lot were around average. Rinse and repeat, especially around your ass. The same is true with books. Books are great marketing tools for a lot of people. A lot of them can sell a lot of copies, but most turn out to be in the, quote, around average or sucks category. When I think of books that have been truly excellent, that have truly changed my perspective on how I think about things, 
I can maybe name 10, including all the ones that I read before 2020. I've done it my best to highlight them throughout my work simply because they help shape a lot of it. Books are very powerful tools. They provide a view into another world that you otherwise may not have known existed, and this is a very good thing. The democratization of information and worldview, which started in large part due to the Enlightenment and Scientific Revolution, has caused knowledge to explode and become incredibly widespread. With the inventions of the internet and social media in the current times, this has been multiplied by a degree that is incalculable. We have more at our fingertips than any of our ancestors who didn't know our time even thought possible. It's wonderful. But it's also very problematic. Because the problem with having so much information is that you, indeed, have so much information. Never before have our brains been force-fed and waterboarded this much information about this many topics. With so much out there, it becomes infinitely more difficult to sift through all the nonsense and retain even a fraction of the shit that's actually useful to you. But either thankfully or unthankfully, you have me. Through my adventures throughout my literary odyssey, I've read the good, the bad, and the ugly. I now know which topics generally to stay away from and which ones to move further towards and read more of. These are by no means absolute, but they are good general guidelines to at least develop a small framework to go by allowing a certain amount of information inside of your head. These categories, however, like I mentioned before, are by no means a catch-all. There are certainly ones in each of these categories that are opposite of what I claim. I've read some that qualify as one of each of them for me. What I would point you back to is the original proposition of the normal distribution, because every category of this quantity is a normal distribution. There are going to be outliers and things that don't necessarily make sense. That's okay, because at the end of the day, this is your brain you're choosing to fill. You ultimately have to make the decisions. Like you, I'm only really taking my best guess at this. One last thing before we dive in that I think it's worthy to take note of. Another layer of filtration that I like to use when hitting on topics like this is primary versus secondary information. For example, if you want to read my, a book on current events, and I'm very guilty in this category, by the way. I love current events books, and it, it is not a topic in here but because I didn't really know where to put it, honestly. But it's my guilty pleasure. It's almost always best to read a book documenting what happened versus, someone else opi- versus someone else's opinion on what happened. So, for example, if you're going to read about the, if you want to know about the Trump impeachment trial, for example, one of the 700 that he underwent, read the actual, like a r- report of what happened. Do not read a report on a report of what happened, like like some political reporter for you know the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post or the New York Post write about the Trump impeachment. Write about read the direct source, the text, the citations, everything from the trial. Do not read into another person's opinion. And getting per- other perspectives is fine, obviously, but what is more important is forming your own perspective on what happened based on the available and objective information. This is the whole echo chamber thing we talk about. So using those two methods of filtering and soon to be hitting on others, let's get started. Should read number one, psychology. To emulate the now immortalized words of the great and powerful Barry Weiss, the world has gone mad. In order to escalate and thrive amongst that madness, it would be wise to start out with its genesis, the mind. We're far from understanding the human brain. It's the most powerful biological technology that's ever existed, and we've only scratched the surface on its potential. Studies and myths, more so myths in this case, if you haven't seen the Bradley Cooper movie, have shown that we only leverage about 10% of our brain capacity at any given time. It's amazing that we're able to properly function, much, much less thrive, in our world. Unfortunately, too few of us understand the nuts and bolts of what we do know about how our brain helps us survive in the world. 
We just rely on it to do its job and stay out of the way for everything else. This is, in my opinion, a colossal mistake. More importantly, it's a missed opportunity. The ability to understand how you and others think and, therefore, how you and others correlate these thoughts to action is an immensely powerful skill. In a world gone mad, one can argue that is the most important skill that you can have in your arsenal. Common sense and rational thinking don't necessarily have to be relics of a time gone by, as Justin Timberlake's character on The Social Network might say. And they shouldn't. You should want both of these things to prevail. Psychology and its cousin philosophy provide that window to open your eyes to what's behind your eyes. To understand the world, it's imperative that you understand the individuals that make up the world. To understand the individual, it's a must to first understand the mind. Books on psychology help you do this because it takes an opinion on a very complicated subject to distribute it among the masses. Reading the opinions of actual experts and smart people about a very complicated subject is a very tough thing to do. But it also is a very intelligent thing to do. Because the human mind affects everything. It affects our relationships, how we work, and what biases can inflict damage onto our brains and everyone around us. Constantly digging into the works of those aforementioned smart people is the best way to train your brain to accept what it cannot even begin to comprehend. And for some recommended reads, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, Transcend the New Science of Self-Actualization by Scott Barry Kaufman, and The Happiness Hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt are all very, very good books to start with. They're all actually linked in the post as well, so again, don't read this blog.com if you guys want to go and track them. So, should read number two, history. So, remember what I said about, not about the impeachment, I guess is the example, but remember what I said above about reading from a direct source? Well, contrary to what all the deconstructionists out there are currently telling you, this genre is about as direct and real as it gets. There's been a wide movement in recent years to take a giant shit all over our historical artifacts and records, specifically in America. This is, to put it mildly, a catastrophic mistake. The biggest reason that this is is due to the fact that pe the people pushing this idea have no fucking idea what you do after this happens. When you destroy, ignore, and remove history, and you have no reference points for opportunities, you have no future wisdom. Anything can go, and most likely anything will go. Given our incredibly complicated, complicated and messy history, I would say that it would be wise to avoid this. History is hard to read for two reasons. First, it's usually incredibly boring. It's not fun to read a lot of things that have already happened before, especially when they've been repeated back to you over and over again multiple times. Odds are you're one of the many people that don't want to have to repeat your sophomore year of United States history, and this is a very understandable thing to feel. The second reason, that it's often incredibly difficult to stomach. We don't like to think that human beings could do other horrible things to human beings, like ignore the Holocaust and segregate the United States so that black people and women had lesser rights than white people or men for a majority of our history. This is, again, understandable, especially given our last two-plus years of sensitivity explosion, this kind of stuff, and overall insanity. We don't want to often familiarize ourselves with our all-too-familiar stereotypes of our own human nature. But the reality and the history tells us that we are. We've done very bad things to a lot of different people. We've hurt other people and other things in other nations. A lot of the time, redemption can seem otherworldly to us. But it isn't. History, again, to the contrary of the deconstructionists, is a two-sided coin. We've also done wonderful things throughout our history. We've liberated people from the Holocaust. We've established equal and individual rights under God and under the law. We've advanced and progressed remarkably well as a society, particularly in America. Humans are capable of bad things, very bad things. But humans are also capable of very good things as well, and reading history reminds us of both of them. 
One thing to be very careful of, I'm very guilty of this even in the recommendations below, is reading an interpretation of history versus the actual history. Getting different opinions on what history means is one thing. Having history revised is another. Revisionist history is never a good endeavor to undertake because history should be a reflection of the truth. Revisions distort truth. They don't enhance it. Truth is the gift that history gives everyone, and to rob it of that would be a gigantic and sad mistake to make. The world can seem very corrupt and dark most of the time if you bury your head into unobjective nonsense and the overall ridiculousness of the world we live in. History, if nothing else, helps to serve as an anchor as to where we've been, how we fucked up, how we've unfucked up, and how the world has gotten around those things to become better. Reading, and reading deeply, reminds us of all of them. And for recommended reads, I would recommend The Right Side of History by Ben Shapiro, Facebook The Inside Story by Stephen Levy, and The Decadent Society by Ross Duthat. All excellent books. Should read number three, Biographies. History is a derivative of the things that make up history. Collective history is made up of a series of individuals. Those individuals, the one that helped drive history forward and the shining lights for us all to see, are definitely worth knowing and learning about. Biographies, and preferably autobiographies to stick with our quote direct source theme, are immensely powerful due to the fact that it is power is distilled at the individual level. To learn about these people, good and bad, is, in a way, to learn about yourself. It is to learn about what human beings are capable of, in the positive and the negative, when your sovereignty is fully realized. But what the most shocking thing about books that dig deep into the most sovereign among us reveal a very contradictory statement. That they are the same as you and I. These people, in aggregate, are no different in most ways than the rest of us, quote, normal people. The only reason they aren't is because they realize that they could tap into something more than just what they thought they could be. They aimed higher. They thought differently. They had admirable goals. There's nothing wrong with being average, with being a common person. Most people are, including myself, and we should not diminish them, and please do not diminish me for that. However, the reality is that some people are born for more. A lot of people feel that they are called to do something that is extraordinary, something that can help others, other people achieve their dreams, something to help most people get through their days wanting to shoot themselves just a little less. These books also tend to show the bad in humanity. In a shocking reversal of negativity bias, this is the one area that I, think of that, that I can think of where the positives definitely get shown out more than the negatives. There are tales of bad people, certainly. The Court of the Red Czar, uh, about Joseph Stalin, certainly falls in that category. That's on my reading list upcoming. It's going to be a very depressing and very cool ride to see. But a nice change of pace is always welcome to read something for more optimistic, to give you a goal and a target to strive for and to hit. The beautiful things about these books, and all books like them, is that they show a way to something better. You'd be wise to take the path that they open. For recommended reads, I have Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson, Recovery by Russell Brand, and Lone Survivor by Marcus Luttrell. They're all absolutely phenomenal books, especially... I loved Lone Survivor. I think Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson is the best biography of a person ever, and I think Russell Brands was probably the most creative I've ever read. So I would say those three are all excellent in their own very, very unique ways, which is really cool. So shouldn't read, number one, self-help and self-improvement. And I realize this might, sounding, might sound a bit odd coming from a guy who in one of his blogging categories, including this one, is improvement. But hear me out. I have an opinion on this genre of book that a lot of people don't find very flattering, but also need to hear. 
When I started my writing Odyssey three years ago, I was obsessed with this genre of books. I wanted to know every way on how to get every edge on everybody in every domain possible. I wanted to conquer any and everything in my path to make sure that I was maximizing all of my life and getting as ahead on everything as I can. While this maximizer mindset can and most likely is destructive, especially in the long term, it's not hard to fall into the trap. Nearly every somewhat ambitious young person does it in either one way or another. It's how our culture works and how most of the young people in America today are brought up. If you're not getting ahead, you're falling behind. If you're not getting better, you're getting worse. But this is not at all true. The great and powerful Tyler Durden made himself immortal with many quotes. One of my favorites is, quote, Self-improvement is masturbation. Now, self-destruction points knowingly at Edward Norton. Watch Fight Club, everybody, or read the book. The book is actually quite good. If I were to, by the way, this is a side note, if I were to have another should read, I need to more, read more fiction. Great fiction is absolutely essential to get away from all the real life shit. Great fiction is tremendous. So that would probably be my fourth category, but I digress. Now, are we all going to end up with mining human body fat out of liposuction clinics and selling it as body wash and pipe bombs? Probably not. Again, watch Fight Club or read the book. But can we all learn from the wisdom of a good-natured cynicism and nihilism? Probably. The reality about Durden's statement and the genre of self-help and improvement is that it can only take you so far. You can only jack off so many times, to use his phrase, before you realize that actually having sex with someone is a much better and much more fulfilling experience. When you keep jacking off, you keep reminding yourself that you're only experiencing a half measure at best. You can never seem to connect the dots that you're missing out on so much more. Self-help books are the same way. They're meant to keep you stunted. They're meant to keep you on a hedonic treadmill of death. Just one more book, they say, and you'll finally live the life you dreamed. You'll finally be able to kick your corporate job and start a bead-making sanctuary for ayahuasca addicts in the middle of rural Arizona or something. But this is a false narrative. When you keep reading about how to do something, it turns out that it's very hard to get off of it. Self-help is good for getting momentum rolling, but it's absolutely fucking horrible for accomplishing goals. In fact, it's completely counterintuitive towards accomplishing goals. Why buy a self-help book if you already know what to do? The whole point of the genre in and of itself is to bring you back to square one, not to get you to where you need to be in life. This is not to say, by the way, that this genre is completely useless, because it certainly isn't. It can be very valuable in a lot of ways. The three best books I've ever read in my life, the ones that have completely altered the way I see my life, Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, and 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson, go read them now, are all self-help and improvement books. The question you have to ask is, what separates the wheat from the chaff? The answer to that question lies in our discussion of excess. In my view, the only self-help and improvement that is actually worth reading is foundational, not built off of anything else. It has to target the very core of who you are as a person, not what you as the person intend to be. If it talks about things like your mindset and your values, that is at least worth looking into. If it talks about what it can do for you, odds are you should stay away from it. Because in the end, self-help can't do anything for you. Because you have to do that something for you. Books are tools. They're useful tools. But tools are neutral things, as are books. It all depends on the person who wields them. Therefore, helping to mold the wielder of said tools should, and usually is, much more impactful than using a lot of the tools themselves. And I have recommended don't reads here, so stay far away from these. You Were a Badass by Jen Sincero, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, the big, and The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, especially the first one. 
it is probably the most appalling thing I've ever had the misfortune to read in my entire life. I despise that woman's writing. And no, I've never met the woman, so I don't know if she's nice or not, but her writing, in my view, is just abhorrent. It's awful, so please stay away. Shouldn't read number two, business slash leadership slash strategy. And this is one that usually gets a lot of understandable pushback too, but it also is the easiest one to debunk in my opinion. As a once aspiring business person, this is a genre that I was extremely excited to deep dive into as well. I read a lot of books on business in college and started to dig into books on sales when I ended up in that field after graduation. The recommended books I got in both types were nearly endless. A new one hit me seemingly every other day and it was awesome. Until it wasn't. Upon reading all of those books, I, like the self-help and improvement books, felt strange. It almost as if I was if I just got duped. I didn't do what it, it didn't do what it wanted it to. It didn't make me a better businessman or leader or strategist. So what the fuck was the point of the book? The point of these type of books, in theory, is to give you quote what works. It's to provide a roadmap based on someone else's experience to hopefully inspire you to go on the path of that similar experience. People, especially those aforementioned ambitious young people flock to these type of books in order to get, quote, the edge on whatever they deem their competition to be. Unfortunately, this is, again, a false idol, and the reason for this is twofold. The first reason is due to the previously mentioned personalization. Let's say you're reading a book on how Henry Ford built the Ford Motor Company, one of the most influential businesses in the history of the world. Are there lessons that could be gained from reading a book about this, how, how this company came about and did well? There absolutely are. But there are also limits to what this book can give you, For example, what if you're a sole proprietorship who wants to build a website? What could Henry Ford's journey of building the most dominant auto manufacturer in the world until Tesla came around possibly help you with? The answer is probably nothing. You won't get a lot out of it because there's not a lot you can relate to. You're simply operating in two different stratospheres. There are commonalities to be found, but they don't exist nearly in the capacity that people think. And the second reason is due to change. A largely cited book as a quote must read in this category is Good to Great by Jim Collins. I was excited to read it. My dad loved the book, for example. I even lauded it as quote the best book on business I'd ever read. You can check my list. It's up again on don'treadthisblog.com. Until I saw what happened only 20 years afterwards. The beautiful thing about capitalism when functioning and managed properly is that only the best things stay. The other things get sorted out. Most of the companies that went, quote, good to great were out of business 20 years afterwards. Collins wrote the book before the internet went mainstream. That changed things just a bit. He wrote it before COVID and the 2008 financial crisis and Trump and Brexit. Those things changed things just a little bit, I would say, too. The key with these books is the same with the self-help and improvement section and the overall theme of this post. Do not focus on niches. Focus on core competencies and values. Those are what guide good people and good companies, not pigeonholing yourself into a strategy that may have worked decently for one out of 100 plus people, probably a long time ago, by the way, that tried the same thing as you. One of the hardest lessons that most have to learn the hard way in life is that what worked for one person does not necessarily work for you. Their experience cannot possibly be your experience because that person cannot possibly be you. Any book that tells you otherwise probably knows this. Their point, after all, is to sell you a book. They're business books, by the way. Preferably their book if they had a say in the matter. So recommended don't reads. Again, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Start with Why by Simon Sinek is incredibly overrated. And Trailblazer by Mark Benioff is just, it's just horrible. I mean, it's just, it's just terrible. I, I just, maybe I, I despise Mark Benioff more than probably anybody in our ruling class. And 
I think his book is is horrific. It's it's oh god, it's so bad. Shouldn't read number three, Diet and Health. This one is a relatively easy one to both fall into and avoid once you fall into it. The diet and health influencer huckster is perhaps the worst breed of human being on the face of this planet. Many a pyramid scheme have been imploded and ruined the lives of many mediocre people from this phenomenon. And the reason for this is simple. You can't sell a healthy lifestyle. You can't read about living a healthy life and then live a healthy life. A healthy life is about action. It is about consistency. You cannot, quote, hack into your mental and physical health and expect to come out on the other side better. The rules simply don't allow for that. The, type of, the thing about this type of genre of book is that they only offer a derivative of a solution. It's all sizzle and no steak. It's the shitty store-bought cake that's all icing. It may look good and sound good, but it hardly ever works, or tastes good for that matter. In fact, it probably tastes disgusting, both literally and figuratively. The reason that it hardly ever works is because our bodies and how we take care of them have largely never changed since we evolved from chimps. There have been advances, certainly, like moving away from fast food culture and adding dietary supplements to support people whose bodies don't produce certain things naturally. We'd have a lot more dead type 1 diabetes folks if that weren't the case. You can't cheat to get a body and a lifestyle that would afford you to do cool things for the rest of your life. Like our friends in the self-help and business section, the answers that truly can help you are much more fundamental. It's very simple to live a healthy life. Eat things that either had a heart or grew out of the ground. Avoid anything that comes out of a bag, box, or can. Move your body more days in the week than not. Avoid most alcohol and drugs. Talk with people you love frequently and in person. Have sex. Get out in the sun and into nature. Sleep an appropriate amount. Do nice things for people. But simplicity does not equal ease. Doing those above things on a consistent basis is a terribly hard thing to accomplish. Consistency is the hardest thing you can teach, which is exactly why you should, in aggregate, avoid books in this category. Anything that tries to sell you the easy and most traveled path is most likely trying to sell you a book, not a ticket to a healthier lifestyle. So the recommended don't reads for this section are almost all of them. Copy my advice, please. I don't say that with everything, but I think it's, it, that's a pretty easy thing to follow. Books are wonderful things. They open windows into the human mind and soul, but they also have their limitations because, as with all of these categories of books, only you can do what books supposedly intend to do, improve your life and make it better. Relying on books will do you no good if you take nothing from them. Even though they can help you, the ultimate trademark of a good book is one that you can leave behind and never look at it again. That is the mark of true wisdom. And if Grant Cardone is somewhere out there, I have some editorial advice for you. And by editorial advice, I truly mean the trash can. So, all right, everybody, that's my post for this week. Kind of a quick hitter. Kept it under a half an hour, at least with uh, the recording. So that's that's pretty cool. Usual, unusual feat for me. So, again, happy Cinco de Mayo. Get tacos, get margaritas, get drunk, celebrate, fuck each other, do all those great things. So, on the day, open your mind. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nino Rose, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself Think about the shit and I think it well How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?